Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be with us now as we think about your word from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Please would you make us wise. Make us wise like the Lord Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, Have you ever wondered who is going to show up to your funeral? I'm anxious enough worrying about whether the people we've invited for dinner will show off. Uh, will show up. Uh, the thought of me, uh, a long wooden box, and a member of the clergy lowering me into the grave, uh, that is the stuff of nightmares. Uh, who are the people in our lives who will drop everything uh, to come and weep with us when the doctor tells us that it's terminal? Who's going to be there with us in the hospital for the last time when we close our eyes? Well, as Raymond said, with Ben recovering from illness, uh, we're diving into a one-off in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, written by the powerful, the wealthy, and the wise King Solomon during the golden age of Israel. And here's how he opens. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There is no gain to be found in this world, says our preacher in Ecclesiastes. All is vanity. Life and everything in it is but a breath. It's short, it's elusive. Like the smoke after snuffing out a candle, it disappears quickly. And if you try and grab hold of it, it will disappear even faster. And this is our life under the sun. In this fallen, this crooked, sin-spoiled world that we find ourselves living in. Life is short, it's insubstantial, it's elusive. Try and grab hold of it and it will slip right through your fingers. And our preacher in Ecclesiastes says this is exactly how God has made it, so that we would depend on him and enjoy the gifts that he has given to us. We would accept them with thanks. Ecclesiastes is a book that pokes and prods And if it doesn't go over our heads, it certainly gets under our skin. It's uncomfortable at times. King Solomon does not sugarcoat reality. We're all going to die, says Solomon, and we can't take anything with us. It's vanity. But if we listen to our preacher this morning, King Solomon, we don't have to do it alone. There might just be a few people who will fly to the moon and back to be there when we close our eyes for the last time. And so will we listen to Solomon, our preacher this morning? Here's the first thing he warns us against. In verses 1 to 6, he warns us, don't lose your life by pursuing gain. Let me read verses 1 to 4 again. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. And I saw all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbour. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind." What is it that drives people to climb to the top and step on everyone to get there, to do such evil, cruel things that leaves Solomon concluding better 
not to be born? What, what is it that drives people to do that? Then I saw that all toil and all skill come from a man's envy of his neighbour. Envy. Uh, we live in a dog-eat-dog world. Uh, if you stand in the way of me and what I want, I have no issue getting what I want. I'm happy to step over you and I don't mind crushing your skull while I do it. Uh, this is the world we live in. And there's a warning here for us this morning. Uh, will we listen to Solomon and quit the envy-driven rat race? Uh, we all know the dad who, uh, very excited with the new barbecue that he bought himself for Christmas, uh, only until halfway through the day he looks over into the neighbour's fence and sees his neighbour bought an even bigger one. Uh, and fueled with envy, uh, envy those neighbours, they always have to go one better. Uh, as soon as Christmas lunch is over and the family's splashing about in the pool, he's back on the phone, checking the stocks, planning the next big project, getting ahead so that he can buy an even bigger barbecue next Christmas. Vanity. He may as well spend the year chasing after the wind. Why is it that we're tempted to spend our days and nights working and working and working? Hang on, just, I'll just be a few more minutes, one more email, one more client call, one more meeting, one more essay to edit, one more book to read, one more, one more. Our preacher warns us this morning, a sure way to lose your life and to wreck the lives of those around you is by relentlessly pursuing gain. Better, verse 6. Verse 6. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Here is wisdom, says our preacher. Sit down over lunch today. Savour the meal God's provided. Soak up the sun, the view, the flowers. The new, but not as big barbecue as your neighbour. Enjoy the family and the friends that God has given you. Uh, for some of us, put, a, put the phone away. That's my issue. Shut the laptop, turn off the TV. Uh, whatever it is, take a moment to relish the gifts God has given us. This is wisdom, says our preacher. Now, if in the first half of chapter 4, Solomon has shown us a bit of a dead end, uh, in the second half, he shows us a way forward. Uh, we've seen that life is not found in pursuing gain. Secondly, verses 7 to 16, it's better to gain life now by pursuing others. It's better to gain life now by pursuing others. Uh, he starts in verses 7 and 8 with a negative example. And we see the, the all too common and very sad story of the successful and the wealthy individual who works and works and works and works with no one and no time to enjoy their wealth. Verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling? And depriving myself of pleasure. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. I'll never forget what my friend Peter said to me a few months ago as we were leaving London, returning to Perth. He was a recently retired gentleman from church and he devoted the last 40 years of his life to making it big in the city of London. It was a few weeks before we welcomed our first daughter, little Lucy, into the world and he looked me in the eye now, holding back tears, he said to me, don't do what I did, Matt. 
I worked and I worked and I worked at the expense of my wife and children. Don't make the same mistake. My friend Peter had learned wisdom the hard way. So driven to work, must be productive, must be efficient, must send email, must make more. We fail to listen to the preacher, pushing and shoving our way to the top. And when we get there, we realise that we're the person in the office who no one wants to go for a drink with after work. But if we're honest, it's okay because we don't really want to have a drink with anyone else either. That is a vanity and an unhappy business. It is better to gain life by pursuing others. Uh, Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Here's wisdom, says Solomon. Why not try working with others? You'll probably earn more money. Uh, But better than that, it might mean that at the end of a rubbish day's work, there'll be a couple of people who are willing to sit down and have a drink with you. Two is better than one. Three is better than two. It's better to live in relationship with others, uh, mutually giving and receiving, being dependent on one another. Uh, Take your family on holiday, buy them dinner, visit your friend in hospital, drop round a meal, and for goodness sake, maybe even buy them a new barbecue so that they can stop envying their neighbours. Wisdom is toiling hard so that you can be generous with those around you. Because life is better when you're in it with others, even when it inconveniences you, when it gets in the way of your work. And it always does. It's that moment when I get home and I need to turn off my phone so I'm present with my wife and daughter. It's that moment when you need to shut the laptop on that really, really important email, not take that phone call, when you have to put down whatever you're doing because there's someone out there who really needs your attention right now. Two is better than one. Three is better than two. Ecclesiastes is clear that we're going to die, but living generously with those around us is our best shot at not dying alone. I remember when I was busy falling in love with Tessa, and uh, that's my wife, uh, and everything else in life went out the window. And I had a conversation with my dad. I said, look, I'm just finding it really hard to keep up with all the reading that I previously enjoyed doing. And he kind of smirked and he said to me, what do you want? A couple of ideas or a wife? (laughs) Life is short. It's elusive. It can be brutal, but it's better when we do it with others. Over the Easter break, we were having dinner with my in-laws at a food court in downtown London. And it was one of those places where you're all crammed really close together. I couldn't help overhear the conversation next to me. It was about a friendship that had just ended it went something like this. Yeah, I haven't seen much of them lately. We got on well initially. They were a great friend. But in the end, they just wanted too much of me. And that's really important for me when it comes to friendship. I don't want to be inconvenienced by someone else's needs. I want someone who is totally happy to let me do my own thing, to pursue my own dreams. And so we've stopped spending time together. (laughs) Solomon would be shaking his head. No, don't pursue gain in this life now and lose those around you. 
Better to gain life by pursuing others. This is the wisdom of Solomon. This is God's wisdom. Now, I don't know this morning how this lands with us. Uh, My experience so far of St. Edmund's is that we're a church family that understands this. I see lots of you uh, serving one another, serving God, uh, making sacrifices for others. It's a wonderful thing to see. You guys know this wisdom. Uh, But even as I think about this and I've been reflecting on this chapter, uh, I'm conscious of the last week, the last year of times when I've failed, failed to be present, when I've kind of driven by envy, ignored and neglected those around me. Uh, We're conscious of our failures. Uh, The good news is it's not too late to do something about it. Uh, This morning we can look to the one who is himself the wisdom of God, uh, to Jesus who chose not to chase after his own gain. Instead, he gave up everything for the sake of others. And there is wisdom. Uh, And then, in the power of God's spirit, And in the strength that he supplies, we can obey obey the Apostle Paul who commands his younger protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. I think it sounds very, very like Solomon. Here's the wisdom. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray.